Welcome everybody to today's Life Group Bible Study. Uh, currently we're in Romans chapter 13, which is right at the very center of this section of Romans, where Paul is talking to us about how God wants us as his children to live our lives, to conduct ourselves in life. Ian took us through the first eight verses of this chapter in the last study. And so today what we want to do is we want to look at verses 8 to 14. And so we're hoping and aiming to finish this chapter today. So let's start by reading the passage, and then we can go through it verse by verse and discuss what it means together. So let's read Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. This is what we read. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this because we know the time, that it is already the hour for us to awake from sleep. For our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. The night has advanced towards dawn. The day is near. So then we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let us live decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in discord and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. So Paul begins this passage uh, in, in verse 8 by saying, Owe no one anything except to love one another. The NIV version puts it this way, uh, the continuing debt to love one another. So he says, owe no one anything except to love one another, or we could say to pay the continuing debt to love one another. For, and here is the reason, of the, which is the first of two reasons that he'll give in this passage, the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So why don't you just at this point, just pause the video and just discuss two questions about this verse. The first question is this, that we are to owe no one anything. So that we want to ask ourselves, what does this mean? When Paul said that we are to owe no man anything, what does he mean? And does it mean that it is wrong for a Christian to borrow? So that's the first question we want to consider. And the second one is, why are we to consider loving people to be a debt that we owe them until the day we die. So those questions will come up on your screen now. Um, so just have a, a, a discussion over this. And then once you, you're sort of done with that discussion, just come back and we'll continue uh, the study as normal. Welcome back. Well, is it wrong for a Christian to borrow? Is this what Paul was teaching us when he said, owe no man anything? Well, let me just quote to you from Albert Barnes in his commentary. This is what he says. He says, the interpretation of this command is to be taken with this limitation, that we are not to be indebted to him, to another person, so as to injure him or to work ill towards him. Okay, so that's how Albert Barnes takes the statement of Paul, 
Let me just read it again. The interpretation of this command is to be taken with this limitation that we are not to be indebted to him or to somebody so as to injure them or to work ill towards them. The New International Commentary in the New Testament says this. This command does not forbid a Christian from ever incurring a debt, for example, to buy a house or a car. It rather demands that Christians repay any debts they do incur promptly and in accordance with the terms of contract. So I think that those two quotes pretty much answer that first question that we had. And that's certainly the way that I would understand what Paul was saying here. So let's now look at the second question. Why do we have a continual, unrepayable debt to love people? Why do we have a continual, unrepayable debt to love people? Well, we see it in the statement at the end of this verse. Uh, the statement at the end of this verse says, The one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. We have a never-ending obligation to God to fulfill his law. And so if fulfilling his law equals loving our neighbor, then we have a never-ending obligation to God and to people to love them in this way. Okay, so we have a never-ending obligation to God to fulfill His law, and therefore we have a never-ending obligation to love people because loving people is the fulfilling of God's law. So I hope that that just makes that clear, and uh, I'm sure that that's probably what you came up with in your discussions as well. Let's move on to verse 9 and read verse 9 again, and then let's just discuss it. Verse 9 says, For... The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice that this verse starts out with the word for. Paul is explaining his statement at the end of verse 8. That's why there's this word for. That word for tells us that he's giving us an explanation. He's giving us a reason. So Paul is explaining his statement and giving a reason for what he had just said at the end of verse 8, which is that the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Okay, so what is this reason? What is this explanation that he gives here? Well, he says all the commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So he says that's why to love our neighbor as ourselves is to fulfill the law, because all the commandments that are given in the Old Testament are summed up in this one command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now you'll notice here that he lists four commandments, but he still includes all the rest, even the ones he doesn't specifically name, are included in this list because he says um, even if there are any other commandments, they're all summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So that's how they are fulfilled. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus taught us, isn't it? He taught us that the law and the prophets are summed up and hang upon two commandments. The second one being that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Two inseparable commandments. Okay, now you'll notice that Paul here lists four commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. But there are other commandments like honor your father and mother, which he doesn't specifically mention. Do not false, uh, bear false witness, which he also doesn't mention. They also are included and are fulfilled in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So what does this teach us? 
Well, this is what it teaches us. The one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If you love someone, you will not steal from them. You will not covet what they have. You will not murder them. You'll not bear false witness against them. If you love your spouse, you will not commit adultery. You'll not be unfaithful to them. If you love your father and mother, you will honor them. So what is the key to fulfilling the law? To fulfill the law, there's one key to it, and that's having love for one another. If we have love in our hearts towards people, do you know that we will automatically fulfill the law of God? Uh, we, could, we could put it this way. If our hearts are full of love for people, we will fulfill the law, and we will do so without even having to know the law. So love itself moves us to fulfill the law. It moves us to keep the commandments. So if there is love in our hearts, we will not break the law. We will not break the, the, the commandments. We're not going to do the things that the law prohibits. And that's very important for us to understand. And I think it's something that we really need to mull over and, and think about and, until we really grasp what Paul is saying here. Conversely, we can also say this, that the commandments were given to teach us what love is and how love conduct itself in life. So what we're saying here is when, when God said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, etc., he was actually describing the way love lives. Love doesn't do those things. So he was saying, if you don't do these things, you will actually be walking and living in love. Just look at verse 10. Uh, verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, what does this tell us about God's law? What does it tell us about the law of God? What is God's law? It can be summed up like this. Do no wrong to another person. Do you know that that really sums up the law of God? When we wrong or harm another person, we are breaking God's law. And no matter how we are doing that harm or how we are, what we're going about in order to, to affect that harm or to uh, commit that wrong against that person, we are breaking God's law. And it is a sin to do wrong to another person. This is what God's law tells us. God's law prohibits us from doing wrong to another person. So when God tells us to love one another, do you know what he's actually telling us to do? He's telling us to obey the commandments. When God tells us to obey the commandments, he's telling us to love one another. So do you see how inseparable, how synonymous love and keeping the law of God actually is? And this is what Paul is teaching us right here. So why don't we just pause the video and uh, let's just have a few moments as a life group just to discuss these statements and consider how these truths that we've just been sharing challenge our understanding of what love is because the world does not consider or define love this way. The world actually separates love a lot of the time, divorces it from God's law. And even in the church, there's been a strong uh, trend towards doing this. And so this really does bring us back to a very biblical, solid, uh, foundational understanding of what love is and how it relates to God's law and what God's law is and how it relates to love. So just pause your video and just discuss these statements that we've just gone through, the statements that I've just been making, and uh, just um, consider how they challenge your understanding of what love is. Well, welcome back. 
Let's look now at verse 11 and the first part of verse 12. Verse 11 and the first part of verse 12. So this is what we read there. Um, and do this because we know the time that it is already the hour for us to awake from sleep. For our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. The night has advanced towards dawn. The day is near. Now, Paul says, do this. So the first question we want to ask is, do what? What is he talking about? Do this. Well, it takes us back to what Paul said in verse 8, where he said, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. So he's saying that we need to live this way, living in love towards one another, doing nothing that will harm another person. And then he says, because. He says, and do this because. Okay? He is giving us the second reason why we must do what Paul said in verse 8. The first was given at the end of verse 8, which was the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. But here he's giving us another reason. And the reason that he states here is that it is an advanced hour that we are living in. He mentions the nearness of our salvation and the fact that a new day is about to break on us. The night is nearly over. So let's just pause the video once again and just discuss what Paul meant when he said these things. What did he mean when he spoke about the need for us to awake from sleep? And what did he mean when he said our salvation is nearer than when we first believed? I mean, are we not already saved? I thought that we were saved when we believed. And, you know, people will say, I'm saved. I got saved at such and such a time. And they're referring to the time when they came to faith. Yet, what do we hear Paul say here? He says, our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. So just discuss these phrases that Paul raises in, these, um, in, in this particular few verses that we've just read. And then come back and we'll have a look at them together. Well, welcome back. What was Paul talking about when he wrote, Our salvation is now nearer than when we became believers. The night is advanced towards day, uh, sorry, towards dawn, and the day is near. I believe he's referring to the coming of the Lord. And the reason I believe this is because he used very similar language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he was talking about the coming of the Lord and the coming of the day of the Lord. So I believe that that answers that particular question. He is talking about the coming of the Lord. But why did he say our salvation is nearer than when we first believed? Well, let's just consider Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. And we read this there. After Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. This is what Paul is talking about when he says our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus, his second appearing, not to bear sin. In other words, not to die on the cross like he did the first time he came to the earth, but to bring salvation. What is that salvation? Well, it's eternal life. It's the resurrection of the dead. It's the transformation of our bodies into the likeness of his glorious body. It is us being glorified together with him and entering and inheriting the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's what he's talking about there. He's talking about the day when everything that God has promised, everything that we now are believing for, 
will finally and actually become ours. So that's why he talks about our salvation is now nearer than when we first became believers. Why did he say we need to awake from sleep? What did he mean by using that phrase? Well, the picture I get in my mind is one of uh, somebody waking another person up before dawn to get ready for a busy day. Possibly we could say maybe a long journey to some place. And so the person goes in and wakes up that other person so that they can prepare for the day. They can get ready for a very busy day that they need to get ready for. And so what Paul is really telling us here is he's telling us to wake up and get ready for the day, which is referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's referring to the, 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 the life that is to come and the day of salvation that is coming when, when we will finally receive everything that God has prepared and promised us. Okay, so it's, that's what it is. It's a call for us to wake up before that time comes, before the day of the Lord comes, before the coming of Christ, and to make sure that we are ready for the day that is coming. So how are we to do this? What, what does it mean to us practically? Well, let's move on and let's have a look at the remainder of this passage and we will find out. In the second part of verse 12, Paul says, so then. So what, what is he doing here uh, when he says so then? He's basically saying, so this is how we are to do it practically. This is how we are to do what he's just been saying practically. And then he says, we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. Notice he says, we must do this. In other words, he's saying, it's our duty. It's our responsibility to do this as Christians. We are the ones who must lay aside the works of darkness and we are the ones who must put on the weapons of light. So what are these works of darkness and what are these weapons of light that we are to put on? Let's read on because as we go into verse 13 and 14, we'll see that Paul explains to us what he meant in saying these particular things. So in verse 13, Paul says, Let us live decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. And carousing is referring to rowdy parties. That's what carousing is. It's having rowdy parties. And, and you'll notice carousing and drunkenness go together. They, 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 they work together. Drunkenness leads to carousing. So rowdy parties and drunkenness. And then he says, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Well, what is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity that is prohibited by God's law. So it could be sexual relations with any person that one is not married to. That would basically sum it up. But it also includes homosexuality because homosexuality is, is against the law of God. What is sensuality? Sensuality is essentially, we could say this, it's a devotion to the gratification of bodily appetites. So it could be the gratification of the lust of the eyes through things like pornography. Um, it would include uh, gratification of our ears through things like ungodly conversation or ungodly jokes or ungodly music. And it could be through things like taking drugs, etc. So essentially it is a devotion to the gratification of bodily appetites um, and in various forms. So he says that we're not, to, we're not to be involved in sexual morality and sensuality. And then he continues on and he says, and not in discord, which is strife and quarreling and we could say harsh disagreements and jealousy. In other words, we're not to be involved in discord or jealousy either. 
So let's just notice a few things here that what he says and how this explains what he said in the previous verse about laying off the works of darkness and putting on the weapons of light. So putting on the weapons of light leads us to live decently, which is what he's been talking about here, leads us to live decently as in the daytime. In other words, to live in a way where we do nothing that we might be ashamed of, uh, where we walk in love and we do what is good as if it's all visible to every person. In other words, that's why he says, as if in the daytime. Secondly, we can see uh, from this, these particular, this particular verses that the works of darkness are the very things that he mentions here. So when he says that we need to put off the works of darkness, these are the kind of activity he's talking about. Uh, things like uh, discord and jealousy, sexual immorality and sensuality, carousing and drunkenness, those kind of things. It's not a full list, as we will see in a moment, but it is... Um, it, these are things that we need to stop doing um, if we're going to be uh, following what Paul is teaching us here. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6 to 12 says this, Let nobody deceive you with empty words, for because of these things God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be sharers with them. For you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live like children of light. For the fruit of the light, here in Romans he talked about the weapons of light, here he talks about the fruit of light, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds or works of darkness, but rather expose them for the things they do in secret are shameful even to mention. So I think that that passage there really just gives us a bit more insight into what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 13. Now Paul goes then on in verse 14 and he says this, Instead, instead of being involved in these works of darkness, uh, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. The NIV says, do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, what did Paul mean when he said, put on the Lord Jesus? I believe this is what he meant. We are to put on the Lord's attitudes. We are to clothe ourselves in his love, his humility, his purity. We're to imitate him. We're to follow his example, do as he did and be as he was. So that's, that's what I believe Paul is talking about when he says we need to put on the Lord Jesus. What are we to do with the desires of the flesh? Well, the desires of the flesh are the things that lead us into doing the works of darkness. The works of darkness are actually attempts to satisfy the desires of the flesh. That is where they come from. They, they originate out of the desires of the flesh. And so we are not to consider the desires of the flesh. We are not to consider them. We are not to pander to them. What are we to do? Well, Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, that we are to deny them. We're to say no to them. And then in Galatians chapter 5, as we'll see just now, we are to crucify them. We are to put them to death. So let's just have a look at Galatians 5, because I think that this passage of Scripture also really does give us insight and understanding into what Paul is talking about here in Romans 13. Let's read verses 19 to 23. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh, or we could say the works of darkness, are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish, 
rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. Do you see the very same words that Paul uses in Romans coming up here in Galatians 5? This is just a fuller list of the works of darkness. He then carries on, he says, I am warning you as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, or we could say the weapons of light, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As we finish today, let's just take some time to reflect on all that we've learned as life groups and just build a picture in our minds, in each of our minds, as to how God, our Father, wants us to conduct ourselves in life. You know, maybe there are some things in our lives that we need to stop doing that have come up in this list that we've just read. And maybe we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions like, to what extent have we put on the weapons of light? And to what extent have we put on Christ? And uh, we could also ask, is there anyone we have harmed that we need to make right with? And ask ourselves, are we committed to walking in love with all people at all time? I pray that the study has really been thought-provoking and heart-provoking and uh, that you have been blessed and instructed out of it. God bless you. I look forward to being with you in the next study where we'll continue on into Romans chapter 14. God bless.